Father, we again come before you and we would ask for your blessing on the delivery of your word and learning, Lord, what you require of us here, what our destiny is supposed to look like, doing your will in the midst of this world that is lost and dying. You have chosen to redeem some, those who would come to you. You will redeem. And Father, being part of those who are redeemed, we'd ask that you would fill us full of wisdom to do your will here. As we're going through your word, we pray that you would enlighten us, that you would equip us for the task which is ahead. And we know that you will, for this is your will. And anything we ask according to your will, you say we have. So we have faith in that, Lord. We have faith in your word, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I believe it was last week, I brought up a subject, and for some of you in here, it may have seemed random. And when I was actually speaking it, I felt the Lord just tell me, put an asterisk by that. Just put an asterisk, you're going to use that in the following week. And what I was talking about was somebody was convicted only on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And I made mention of something in the current news. And the thing that I talked about in the current news was Ferguson. And I just got this feeling that someone may have been thinking, why is he bringing up Ferguson when we're in the book of Hebrews? What's the deal with that? You know, aren't we just getting the Bible? And then I was recalling this last week that some people say when you go to church, you're never to talk about politics or the state of the day so much. Just give us the word, right? If we don't take the word and transfer it into our daily lives, we are wasting our time. We are simply on a bicycle at the gym. You're going nowhere. You think you're going somewhere. You're just spinning that thing around and your heart rate gets up and you get all excited and all that, but you get off, you haven't gone anywhere. You haven't moved forward at all. And so the reason we go through the scripture is so that we can glean from that, okay, how does this apply? And what I was talking about was two or three witnesses and how in the Old Testament nobody could uh, suffer a capital punishment for a capital crime unless there are two or three reliable witnesses. And I talked about the grand jury in Ferguson, how there was a group of people and it was unanimous there and they just said, there's no charges to be brought against the officer who is there. And so in case somebody was thinking, well, why is he bringing that up? It's because we're supposed to transfer our theology to our system or way of living. Now, I want to do that this morning before I get into Hebrews as well. Today is the third Sunday of January. Does anyone know what that is? You know, someone know? That's correct. It's Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now, before I talk about Sanctity of Life Sunday, I always have to give a predicate to that. Sanctity of Life Sunday deals with the January 22, 1973 decision by the Supreme Court to allow abortion in the United States. And because of that, over one-third of the women in the United States have had an abortion. 
Because of that, there are some in here who have had one. And those who have, the Lord forgives. He is full of grace. There is no reason to walk around with this spirit of condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this forgiveness is open. Even though there's a scar, there's a pain, there's sorrow connected with that, God reaches out to that individual who turns to him and says, You know, Father, I have sinned, and he forgives us. First John 1 9, you all know it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we ask. And so that being aside, there's no condemnation that doesn't preclude me or doesn't stop me or doesn't inhibit me, at least it should not, from taking from the Scripture and applying Scripture to everything we go through in this life, namely the Sanctity of Life Sunday. What we do in this country is considered a sin by God. And we have, as a collective group of people, voted in the individuals who made this decision. It was a group of nine individuals that made this decision. It wasn't something that was carried on by the states. And there's a big political and historical and governmental debate, even whether or not that was constitutional. But in this day and age, it doesn't matter what is constitutional. People are just going forward with what they think is right. Scripture says that. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end thereof is death or destruction in some verses. Now, to give you a little bit, or excuse me, some translations, to give you a little bit of background on the Sanctity of Life Sunday. In January, in a January 13th, 1984 proclamation, President Ronald Reagan designated January 22nd, 1984 as the first National Sanctity of Human Life Day. The date was chosen to coincide with the 11th anniversary of Roe v. Wade's Supreme Court case that legalized abortion in the United States and Doe v. Bolton, which made abortion legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy in a mother's, if the mother's health was in jeopardy, which includes emotional stress of pregnancy, and it opened the door for this law to be upheld in all 50 states. Reagan issued the proclamation annually thereafter, designated Sanctity of Human Life Day to be the third Sunday in January, which represents the closest Sunday to the original January 22nd date. His successor, George H.W. Bush, continued the annual proclamation throughout his presidency. Bush's successor, Bill Clinton, discontinued the practice throughout his eight years in office. But Bush's son and Clinton's successor, George W. Bush, resumed the proclamation and did so every year since his inauguration. The pro-life community has continued to set this day aside each year since its inception to pray for an end to abortion. And I want to give you a few statistics, a few tidbits, some information to take away with you. Uh, the first one, it just seems kind of random, but there are several that are like that. In 1994, a study in the Journal of National Cancer Institute found among women who had been pregnant at least once, the risk of breast cancer in those who had experienced an induced abortion was 50% higher than among other women. The National Center for Health Statistics showed that 4 million 
317,119 babies were born in the U.S. in 2007. And all the statistics I'm going to give you are based on that. Of all unintended pregnancies, 4 in 10 are aborted. That's 40% of our population in the United States is not here. There are approximately 1.21 million abortions in America each year. There has been a steady decline since 1980. And it says that each year about 2% of all women ages 15 to 44 have had abortions. By age 45, one-third of American women will have had at least one abortion. 88.7% of all abortions take place by the 12th week of pregnancy. And why do women get abortions? These are the reasons that are stated. Women who have never been married account for one-third of all abortions in America. Less than 1% of all abortions take place because of rape or incest. Women give an average of 3.7 reasons why they are seeking an abortion, including the following. 21% say inadequate finances. 21% say not ready for responsibility. 16% of the women say life would be changed too much. 12% say problems with relationships or they're unmarried. 11% would say they're too young and immature. 8% would say that children are grown and that she has all she wants. 3% say the baby has possible health problems and less than 1% are caused by race and incest. And there's a 4% for other reasons. And by the way, there is a huge debate in our country right now concerning race. That it went from there is a sector in our community across the United States that is racist to now Anybody who is not of color is a racist. And we are heading down the wrong path with this. But some of those who would spout those statistics and those facts and those principles that are out there are also big proponents of abortion. And it talks about the blacks who are in the United States where they comprise only 13% of the population of America but account for 37% of all abortions. Black women are five times more likely to abort than white women. 69% of pregnancies among blacks are unintended, while that number is 54% among Hispanics and 40% of pregnancies among whites. Planned Parenthood has the largest seller, is the largest seller of abortions in the United States and has located 80% of its abortion clinics in minority neighborhoods disproportionately targeting minorities of abortion. Now, who can tell me who is considered the mother of the abortion movement today? What is her name? Anybody know? Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. A eugenicist was somebody who wanted to control population. And the specific population she wanted to control was the population of the black community. She felt they needed to be taken care of, so to speak. This is a quote from her. 
woman must have her freedom, the fundamental freedom of choosing whether or not she will be a mother and how many children she will have, regardless of what man's attitude may be. That problem is hers. And before it can be his, it is hers alone. She was an evil woman, an evil woman who pressed for this eugenics movement. And those people who were in the Planned Parenthood movement look at her as the matriarch of the movement. And this is where we take human beings and we kill them. We kill them in the womb. I personally tried to watch a movie, Silent Scream, years ago, where it actually showed an abortion. I could not watch it. I got partway into it, and I just could not continue. And the reason, and I did this as a Christian, the reason I felt I needed to do that was to see, well, what is, what is everybody talking about? Most people have never seen something like that. Most people do not know the procedures that actually take place. And we condemn soldiers for stacking men up in a pyramid being naked, but we won't condemn doctors who brutally kill children. Now, again, at this point, I'm just going to insert, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are guilty as a society. If God brought us before him as the United States of America, he would point his finger at us and he'd say, we are guilty. We are guilty of killing the babies in the womb. And it is something as a nation we need to repent of. There is no justification as far as morality is concerned for us to say this is an acceptable practice. And anybody that we would elect to office that holds to that, we need to stand up and say, no, this is immoral. But some will say, but it's ethical. And the difference is, is what is acceptable to the people as a community as opposed to what God says is right and wrong. We are to stand in such a way to protect those who are innocent. On this little flyer that is here, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, this comes from the Pregnancy Care Center. They are having an open house January 25th. We support them. You support them as a church body. We give them money every month. I wish we could give them more. I know personally girls who have gone there and had their babies saved because of what they offered to them. We have been able to be a part of actually saving human lives by girls being able to go there and getting the support that they need. You can go to their website and you can read about them. But on the bottom of their flyer here, it says, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8, Speak for those who cannot speak. Seek justice for all those on the verge of destruction. And when I look at a picture of little babies, and I, I love little babies. I love my girls when they were just tiny. I love to take their neck and stick my face in their neck. And, and you know, you have this uh, thing where you want to eat them up, you know. You just get, like, you get right in there. And, and then when they start laughing, those little babies are so precious. And that's how God looks at them too. They are so admired and precious in His sight. And we try to divest ourselves from any type of information that God actually created the human being in his image. And that's why it is a sin. Because we are destroying what God has made in his image. 
And that's throughout Scripture. It says also that we shall not murder. And this is, in fact, murder. Now, I know that that is strong language. And it is difficult to hear it, especially for somebody who has gone through it. Or if you were a man and you had a woman that just decided on her own, like Margaret Sanger said she had the right to do. It is not true. And we think that we can be an island and nobody has to be affected by it. Or the mother who says, you know, I've had my kids, I don't need any more. We've watched some videos at times where in the past uh, uh, these people would stand in front of the abortion clinics and they'd try to talk them out of going inside. And, of course, there have been laws passed because it's not ethically permissible for us to stand in front of abortion clinics and try to talk somebody out of getting an abortion because somebody is taking a life of of another human being, and that is reprehensible. And what would come after that? You know what they said in the Christian... um, Christian world, they said that after abortion is made legal, do you know what will come next? Do you know? Euthanasia. Euthanasia will come next. And it has come. Mercy killings. Dr. Jack Kevorkian, you know who he is, right? Drives up the little van, puts up this drug cocktail, puts the person out, makes their heart stop, and they're done. He actually was killing the people. That's why he went to prison, because it was considered against the law. Not only was it immoral it was unethical well what's going to be next next will be choosing which kids you have and getting rid of the ones you don't the next step is infanticide infanticide is after the babies are born you decide whether or not they should survive you either and there are stories i don't want to tell you the stories about this if you do some research into it it will just break your heart what they do with some of the children who survive abortion and how they make it through and how they were left upon a table. And I don't really want to get in too much of that, but they they just let the babies die. Pretty soon it will be actively taking the life of a child, especially if the child is born and it has some kind of deformity. There was a woman, I was reading a story Actually, it wasn't the woman. It was uh, this individual that was talking about this woman. And this woman, she had some complications. Uh, She had appendicitis. And because she had this appendicitis, for some reason, they had to put a huge cold pack. And I don't know why. It's just talking about the story. They had to put this huge cold pack upon her Uh, side right here and it was right next to her uterus and she was pregnant the doctor came in and said well we recommend that you get an abortion because there's some complications with that the woman declined and the person who was telling the story said that was my mother who did that the doctor told her that she would probably have birth defects with the child and the people who have survived abortions, if you listen to their testimonies and actual abortions where they have used tools, sharp tools, and they come out, there are all kinds of testimonies out there. The problem with our community, our United States of America, is we don't want to hear it. Please don't talk to me about that. It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel terrible. We don't want to feel terrible. We are such such hypocrites I'm not calling you a hypocrite I'm saying all of us in this country this is what we have allowed to happen we have stayed back as long as it doesn't affect me it's going to be okay and we need to repent of that we need to stand up we need to say this is wrong 
If when we elect somebody, if somebody has something to do with abortion, you know, we need to say this is wrong. Now, is there ever going to be a case where you might have to vote for somebody that does that? Well, it just depends. Is there somebody that you're going to vote for that's for abortion but against infanticide and then somebody that you're going to vote for or opposed to somebody that you're uh, going to vote for that is for abortion and for infanticide? Which one are you going to vote for? You have to make a decision. There, there are no easy fix-its in our society. And Jesus Christ will come back and he will restore everything. But we personally have to be able to stand up. And one final note about this. As far as uh, being pro-life, I wasn't always pro-life. In high school, I was not pro-life. Why would any high school male be pro-life? I mean, think about it. It's like, you don't want any consequences for anything. Then I got saved and I started looking at this stuff just thinking, wow, we, we are actually murdering 56 million people total are not here. Imagine what our country would look like if those 56 million people were here today. And so I, I just want to encourage you. I know I've taken up a lot of the time just talking about this, and we are going to get into the book of Hebrews. And on the uh, website, uh, Daryl, we can go ahead and just call it Sanctity of Life Sunday with a little bit of Hebrews that's on there. And so I, I would encourage you, if you have gone through that, the Lord knows you just have to go to him and, and ask him, you know, for help in dealing with it. He is faithful to provide that help. If you have been a man that has been touched by that, the Lord knows it is something that is wrong. It is a scourge on our society, and we need to maintain the trend of bringing this down and vote people in the office who will be pro-life, who will actually try to gain ground when it comes to making a difference in our country. And the opposition will be fierce. And the reason it's so fierce is because billions of dollars are at stake. Um, I'm, I'm going to pray again right here just for uh, our country and those who may be in here as far as abortion is concerned. But afterwards, if you feel like you need to pray, you know, just... God, you say, I'm, I'm carrying this burden. Uh, you can see me. You can talk to Patty. You can talk to uh, Sandy Capaletti back there. Uh, you can grab one of the women who are leaders in the church and just pull them aside and say, could, could you pray with me? You know, I, I really want to deal with this. We don't want to make it something where you come up front and you get prayed for up front and everybody sees, well, what are they getting prayed for? We don't, we don't want to do that. Just approach one of us and we'll pray for you. Uh, I have prayed for other women after talking about this in the past and several years past. It would just come up over and over where people would need some prayer. They just need a little solace. They, they need somebody to come in and say, you know, God forgives them because he does. So let's pray. Father, I want to lift up just all those women who might be in here who have been affected by abortion who for some reason bought into the lie that it's okay, that it's convenient, that it will make your life better. I pray that you would correct that thinking, and I pray that you would bring the comfort that only your spirit can bring, that you will hold them close, that you will enable them to endure and speak out in the future for those who have yet to be born. And, Father, as we uh, seek to do your will also for the men, who may have been touched by this, I pray that you would draw them close as well. And as a 
community, the people of these United States. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the right mindset, not the humanist worldview, but the biblical, moral worldview. And with your help, we'll do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the book of Hebrews, we started with this idea of faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And faith is supposed to be an exhibition of hope. It's supposed to be a display of hope. It's supposed to be a presentation of hope. People are supposed to understand that you are a believer, that you want to follow Jesus Christ with all your heart. And faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, to give you an example of this, when was the last time you saw wind? You might have seen dust in wind, but you didn't see the wind. But you can feel the wind. I love the wind. I get out there sometimes and way in East County and that wind's blowing. comes across my face. I just love the whipping of the wind out there. I love it clearing the leaves off the trees and raking them away to where I don't have to. And it, it's just a, a wonderful thing. And I, I always thank God for that. You know, when I have to do something like that with trees. But you can see that evidence. Or how about this? Can you see gravity? Do you know it exists? You probably know it exists because it's come in contact or made you come in contact with the ground when you necessarily didn't want to. You really knew it existed when you tried that parachuting or that bungee jumping, right? You just went right out. That gravity just sucked you right down. But you can't see it at all. And it's around everywhere. And I was talking about the creation last week. Well, I did a little bit more reading about our creation and our solar system. There are bona fide scientists that are coming out saying, now we have more planets that are out there. They're really not planets. They're like micro planets, and they're beyond Pluto and the Coupier belt that is out there. There's some good-sized ones, some that are about four times the size of Earth. And the reason that they say that, they can't see them because they're so far out there, but the reason they know this is because they're doing the mathematics, the astrophysics, the pull of all the planets on each other, and they're going, look, this pointing. We have more planets out there. And they have found some more exoplanets, some that are the size of Pluto, one specifically, and some that are less in size. And that, that stuff is just moving all around out there. But you can't see the gravity, but you can detect it. You know that it is there. You know that uh, CERN particle accelerator? You guys familiar with that? That's where they have that big loop, and they're taking photons and electrons. I think it's photons mostly. And they're smashing them together as fast as they can. Now, I don't know how do you do that. What do you pick it up, a tennis racket, and knock it towards another one, and that guy hits? It, it, they keep it in this little field. It is beyond me, the comprehension of that. And I was watching a little uh, video on that, and they were so excited. They showed this graph. They put this graph up on the side. You go, why are you talking about CERN? I'll get there in a minute. They put this graph up on the side, and the whole crowd that was watching this new discovery, they gasped, all because of a graph. You could hear them visibly. Let's try it once. We want to just gasp. Gasping is where you go, (gasps) like that. Okay, one, two, three. That's how they did it. Uh, They did it just like that. And all they showed was this graph. And what they showed was from this CERN scientific development over there and smashing these things together, they found this new particle 
Boson Hicks, you know, Boson, if you, I like to look at that stuff every once in a while. It just really excites me to see what they're doing with science. And uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Boson, I think, was there. And he started to tear up. And I'm going, what is going on here? All you're seeing is this graph. And he predicted that you would find this little particle if you could get this accelerator to work properly. And they have pretty good evidence by two separate experiments that they found this particle. They're looking for what is called the God particle. The thing that is in common to all of us and all matter. They're looking for that. And they got really excited I don't think it's going to happen, actually. I think that they're looking at that, but I think there's something even smaller than that. I think they're going to go down and look and look and look, and they're going to try to find something that are see God's fingers holding those little things in places is what they're going to find. Because God is at the root of all this, and it's going to go into the spiritual realm because God holds everything together. You know, this creation which is out there and everything that is happening, and there's so much of it that is invisible. You can't see it. Gravity is invisible. The wind is invisible. The atoms that make up your body, we can see the result of the atoms that make up your body. We see you, but you cannot see the atoms. You cannot see the molecules. And so that's what faith is like. You can't grab hold of it, but faith can be detected. It can be detected by the result that you exhibit in your life. And that's what's talked about here in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that it, what was seen was not made out of what was visible. And we talked about that ex nihilo and chance and accident and randomness and evolution, all of that stuff. And then it goes on to talk about those who are in, quote unquote, the hall of faith. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And we want to say immediately that it was, you know, it was the blood sacrifice that Abel offered, and Cain offered the fruits of the land because he was a farmer, but that wasn't it at all. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. It's talking about Abel believed God. He believed God for all he said, and he brought the sacrifice. And I would say it, it is apparent it was willing that he brought the sacrifice. He was willingly doing it. And it was probably the case with Cain. Well, I got to. You got to go to church? Think about it. When you were being raised, did your parents get you all gussied up? And I can remember the wingtip shoes and the red blazer with the coat of arms on it and the brill cream going over. I can remember all of that and the little black slacks and then coming home and messing it all up with my other three brothers. I remember all of that. It only happened until about age five, but we were made to go. And when we went to go, I, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. I was, okay, this, I guess this is church. I was too young really to really remember what was going on, but maybe you're a little older and you're being forced to go to church. You must do it. You go, this is so boring. Get out of here. You know, when it comes, for instance, to worship or serving, when I think about doing it and when I see the people in the church that feel the same way that I do, they just go, church is coming. And they get all excited. Oh, yeah, church is coming. And I talked to this other guy. I'm going to name his name. He's probably going to listen to this. So, Jimmy, if you're listening, yes, I'm talking about you. He gets on there about every week and he listens to the message. He used to work for me. And the man is just becoming a, 
how do I say this nicely? A freak for God. He's becoming a freak for God, and it's good. And he's, he's getting into apologetics. And every time I talk to him, he's the one that covers for me on my work. He used to work for me uh, for several years. And I just talked to him yesterday, and immediately he said, Man, you know, I got these podcasts, and I like Greg Coco. Man, I'm really liking him. And, I, and he starts naming all these pastors and stuff, and I'm going, wow, okay. He goes, but you know what? I have to have an outlet for it. I, I got I to gotta do something with this. I'm thinking about going down the Mission Beach and witnessing to somebody. I'm going, yeah, man, that's, that's what it's all about. And freak in a good way. You know, he was becoming a, a, he is becoming a freak for Christ. And he goes, you know, my wife, she has her doubts, but she's coming along. And then I got this problem with a friend and he just keeps on going on. I said, Jimmy, I'll see you next week. And he goes, oh, okay, okay, we'll talk then. Yeah, and we'll talk then. And it's great to see that. Like, yeah, I get, to, I get a chance to serve. I, I have this faith and God's provided the opportunity and I'm so blessed. And then there's the other side. This is so hard. Schlepprock, you know, only a few of you remember who that is. He is a guy that had a hat on the Flintstones and he was kind of short and he carried around this thing and, or this cloak and he was just a schlepprock, you know, he, he was down about everything. You don't have to be down about that. Your faith can carry you through what God has done, how he has saved you and brought you to this point in your life. You have this opportunity as long as you're breathing and you're looking at somebody and you have use of your hands. Take advantage of that. Open your mouth and speak. Become learned in the scriptures so that you can give a reason for the hope that lies within. Abel was willing to offer a sacrifice and he got to bring the sacrifice. This is a good thing. I'm doing this because God is good and Cain was probably like, oh, man, i got to do this. This is just terrible. And most of the world is like that. Church? No. I don't want anything to do to church. But we know what the end of that is. Turning away from God means turning away from eternal life. By faith, in verse 5, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he, com- he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, you remember the story. Enoch, he's the first one to get raptured. He was the first one right before the flood that was taken by God. He was snatched away. And I believe he is a type of what is going to happen to the church. The church, we're told, class, what two books tell us about the rapture? Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, I almost got it, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, I believe, 51 and 52. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17. It may go a little bit into 18 right there. Then you have John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would go away to a prepared place for you, that where I am you may be also. You know the way to the place where I am going. I am the way and the truth and the life. And that's what he's talking about there. And Isaiah talks about that as well. Go into my chambers for a little while until my wrath has passed by. So it talks about the rapture. It's that thing that lies ahead. Well, Enoch, before the flood came and wiped everything out, God reached down and said, I'm taking you. And he pulls him out. Just snatches him out of the world. Now, how did he do that exactly? I don't know. I don't know how he did that, but he just took him. I think he just went, and he was gone. And he got this, that's my way of doing it, highly technical, theological. He just, God took him up to heaven. That's what happened. Same thing with Elijah. What happened to Elijah? He got a ride. He had a ride. 
I don't know if you guys have seen the video, but there's a guy who hooked up his motorcycle to a chariot. Have you seen that? Yeah, he, he has this motorcycle, and it's like a custom-built motorcycle. And he put a chariot on the back, and he had these look like ropes. I don't know what they were. But he was just going down the roadway, and somebody videotaped them, you know, on their camp videotape. That's archaic, isn't it? He, he, he took their phone, and they took a picture of him, and he's going like this, you know, he kind of waits and he goes, yeah, like, the thing just took off. It was the most hilarious thing. I don't even know why I was talking about that. But this idea, this idea that we will be taken off in a chariot, that's what I was talking about. We'll be taken off in a chariot, you know, like uh, Elijah, we won't. We will be here one second and gone the next in the flash and a twinkling of an eye. And he was taken because he believed God. He was considered a righteous man because of his faith. And God did great things with him. Now, before I get too far into this, we're running out of time. Look at Abel. What happened to Abel because he had faith and he trusted God? He got killed. What happened to Enoch because he had faith and he trusted God? First class ticket to heaven. You trust God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't know which one we will get. We may go all the way to the point of the extreme of experiencing death because of our faith. We may go all the way to the extreme and getting raptured. And I'm praying for the rapture. I want the rapture to come. Before this service is over, it would be really great if we all just meet in the sky. And this is because of faith. If you have faith in God, he will bring to fruition what he has promised. As a matter of fact, we'll get into it next week. Hebrews here talks about God rewards those who earnestly seek after him my prayer for you this week is that you would seek after him with all your heart mind soul and strength that you would be in the word that you would ask god to bring somebody in your path that is not saved that you would get a chance to gain some knowledge that you would tuck that away for the right day and that god would use you so that your faith would be encouraged that is the purpose that he has given us his word let's pray father we thank you first of all That we have this testimony, this witness that is left behind of the great people in Hebrews chapter 11 who trusted in you for everything. And we long for the day that we will be reunited with you. But we ask, Lord, that until that time, you would build our faith. You would use us. You would help us to be submissive to you in all areas of our lives. And you would help us to make a real difference here. And that you would call us and commend us for being righteous simply because we believe in your son, Jesus Christ. This is our prayer. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said...